you know, I never would have thought it would take me, you know, I think it was five years to get back to second stage. You know, that's, um, it's very humbling when I think about that. Luckily, I was able to, to finally get back and, and make it through last year. Today, we are joined by Ashton Van Horn. Ashton played college golf at Belmont where he had six wins. And after he graduated in 2016, he went on to play professional golf and has continued playing since then. During the first five of those six years, Ashton had minimal status on any tour, playing mostly on the Canadian tour. Most recently, Ashton locked up status on the Corn Ferry Tour during the Utah Championship, as you'll hear about more in the episode. Beyond that, Cooper and I are both good friends with Ashton Van Horn, and we've both been fired as caddies for him. So we hope you appreciate the stories and insights that he provides today. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, Ashton. Tell us just a little bit about your background. We know you play on the Corn Ferry Tour now. You locked up status this year, and it was a long road to get us there. So kind of start from the beginning, how you even got into golf. Yeah, um, kind of got a late start to the game. Um, grew up playing a lot of baseball. Um, kind of in high school, kind of transitioned into golf. I guess my freshman year, I tried out and made the JV golf team and, and just kind of really liked the independent nature of it. Um, could kind of do it my way, kind of, uh, you know, practice how I wanted and, and, you know, just, just really love the independence. Um, for somebody who's playing professionally, I feel like that's a pretty late start to, to get going at, you know, 14, 15 just really enjoyed it. Just, uh, just enjoyed that I could do it my own way and go out there and compete. Yeah. So you went on and played at Belmont in college and then played professionally. At what point in time though, did you figure out that, Hey, like I want to play this at a higher level. And then what point in time did you figure out, Hey, I can play this at a higher level. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up, I played a lot of baseball and I always wanted, I always dreamed to play in the, the major leagues and, when I started playing golf, the the goal just shifted to PGA Tour. Um, even before I had any realistic, you know, chance of doing that, that was my my goal. Um, and going to Belmont, I, I feel like I progressed every year and, and and learned a lot how to compete, how to play at a little bit higher level. And and I knew that leaving Belmont, I still had a ways to go, but that I definitely had the game and the upside if I if I kept working and, and did the right things, and I could. Uh, I could make that happen. Yeah, going to Belmont, you had I think six wins there, if I'm not mistaken. And as everybody knows, no matter like what level you are in college, essentially, like winning a tournament is hard, and especially getting six wins in college uh, is hard. There's a lot of guys out there who play still who do not have wins in college, but it's a must be like must have been at least like to yourself a pretty good sign that you know things things were working okay because you're winning and you're in if you weren't winning you're were also uh having a lot of close calls with winning what was it like figuring out how to win in college you know college is great for me i feel like i you know learned a lot about winning but you know i i attribute being able to win six times in college a lot to my junior junior golf career you know i wasn't really playing in a lot of big tournaments i was focused more on high school matches on high school tournaments on um you know, smaller spring and fall events. And, you know, those didn't necessarily have the best competition. And I felt like I could go out there and compete. And even when I wasn't the best player yet that I could win. And I, so I kind of maybe uniquely to some other guys learned to win before I was really a great player. Um, and I feel like that just carried over to college. You know, I got into a really good environment with some great structure, um, great coach. Uh, Scott Flynn at Belmont and, um, you know, had some teammates that pushed me hard. And I, I just feel like, you know, those two kind of things, you know, the, the structure and good coaching really combined with that competitive nature that I had. Yeah. You know, I, like you said, I won six times, but feel like I was in contention, you know, as much, if not more than the amount of times that I won, I, I finished second or third. I think, you know, I just, uh, I really enjoyed, you know, competing and getting, in there and there's a lot of like you said really good players even even at the level that I played at at Belmont um 
in the Ohio Valley Conference at the time, you know, a lot of really good players that only would win one or two times. And, um, and you know, a lot of guys that have gone on to have really successful pro careers. So, you know, I, I think I just attribute that, you know, my junior golf career, you know, being able to, to compete and learn how to win at a young age. So you obviously had a really good college career. And after college, you turned pro immediately. And if I'm not mistaken, you won your first professional tournament, the Kentucky Open. What allowed you to have, you know, that early success as a pro? I think I was just uh, really, you know, really excited when I turned pro. Really, you know, my game was in a great place and just, you know, had a lot of, you know, high hopes and, you know, was working hard and, and my game was in a great place. Yeah, I won the Kentucky Open in my first event and that was kind of like a confirmation maybe to my confidence that I could play. You know, we have got a lot of great players in the state of Kentucky. I beat some really great players that week, you know, guys that have had a lot of success at, you know, at some pretty high levels in this game. And, um, yeah, that was just a big, big kind of confidence boost for me going forward. Now, I had a lot of work to do. And, I, you know, I found out shortly after, you know, how high the bar really was at the pro level. And it took me a handful of years, you know, of, of struggling and grinding it out to really you know, start to, you know, feel like I could compete at the, at the pro level, like I was able to in college, but, um, but, you know, to win, to win that event early on, just, um, it gave me a ton of confidence and just confirmation that, that me pursuing professional golf was, was something worthwhile and something that, that I could be successful in. Yeah. So I'd like to kind of go through what happened after that you went, to Q school, mm-hmm. you got through first stage and then you missed um, by a little bit at second stage mm-hmm. and go through kind of the emotions of missing at Q school that first time mm-hmm. and what you started to do after that tournament wise. Yeah, I remember I, um, I played really well at first stage in, in Alabama at a, at a tough golf course in Dothan. Um, I believe I finished maybe third place and kind of just didn't know any better. Just was playing good, went in there and shot four really good rounds. And um, young and dumb sometimes is a good thing in this game. I didn't know any better. But um, And then I go to second stage. I remember I open up on maybe eight or nine under through two rounds. And it's like, well, you know, I wouldn't say I got ahead of myself, but I, I really, it was really coming easy to me. And I remember I, remember I, shot, I shot two over at um, TPC Craig Ranch in Dallas in the third round. And I went from ninth to 54th with two over. And um, and that was maybe one of the most shocking days of my life because it was like, it's only, you know, yeah, I played poorly. But, you know, I was four inside the number. Now I'm seven outside the number. It's like it, it was, it was, you know, that might be a little exaggeration, but it was such a shock. And, you know, I went out the last round, I, I literally needed like a 63 to get through um, and I wasn't able to do it. But um, but yeah, it, you know, I never would have thought it would take me, you know, I think it was five years to get back to second stage. You know, that's um, it's very humbling when I think about that. You know, it's it, it was, you know, a lot of trials and tribulations, you know, in between there. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot less. You know, I talked about the structure in college golf that really helped me. And. I now didn't have that in pro golf. I was on my own more. Um, and that presents a lot of, a lot more challenges. Um, and at times I didn't handle them well and wasn't prepared for situations. And it really, you know, put me behind. I feel like, um, over time, just kind of learned from my mistakes and stuck with it and was able to get back. And, um, you know, big thing for me is I never lost the belief that I could do it. Um, I just kept putting in the work and, uh, you know, had people around me that, that continued to believe in me and support me. Luckily, I was able to to finally get back and and make it through last year. Yeah, it's been a very like cool story to watch, at least from my perspective, and for a lot of us that I know, we've known it was possible. It's just one of those things when you realize how much of a grind it is. I mean, Cooper already uh, when he was playing pro was like, I don't think I want to do this, and then you're out on uh, Corn Ferry last year and. He's uh, catting for you. He's like, yeah, I de- this is definitely not the life I want to live in. Corn Ferry is essentially like right there. I mean, a lot of guys want to like that's a that's a huge place to be and a nice pedestal to be on. You get a lot more of that structure that you talk about. You get a lot more uh, stability and all that to say is just a hard. It's a hard life 
to live, I know. And you and I have talked about the Kentucky Open. It was nice to win that first event, but and it boosted your confidence. In the same way, you've also said to me that, you know, it was kind of a trap for me because I thought, oh, like, I got it. Like, I'm, I've, I'm here. I've arrived. Uh, this isn't any different. And then you get, you come out, and for five years in a row, essentially, you get caught with haymaker after haymaker after haymaker, and you see improvement, you see growth, but it's not exact. It doesn't exactly ever feel that way uh, once you realize how hard it is to get there. So after you after you missed at Q school following that win kind of walk us through what that path was like what and what you were thinking about as you're like okay now i gotta get back out there like you gotta like if you get through q school okay fine danny sweet you got something to play in like you know what your schedule looks like but if you don't know what your schedule looks like which is what happens when you don't make it through then you gotta be like okay Mm -hmm. am i gonna go play latin america am i gonna go play canada and then if you don't get through one of those then all of a sudden it's the same story like all right, I got to go. Like, I got to scrounge together a schedule. It's not put together for me. I got to find some G pros. I got to find some swing thoughts. I got to find anything that mm-hmm. I can play in and keep myself going. You got to go down to Florida, play the, uh, those Florida events. They got a nice little winter schedule down there. What was the mindset following that? And how did you try to create some sort of order out of the chaos that uh, kind of arises there? Yeah, I think. Um... I think, you know, when you're kind of, you know, laying that out for me, I, I really feel like and have come to believe that, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know, it, it would have been incredible for me to have gotten through that first year, but it wasn't meant to be. There's a lot of things I still needed to learn to uh, to uh, improve on, to understand better. And and so, yeah, you know, I, I kind of had to learn those things the hard way you know, then, yeah, like you said, trying to put that together a schedule. I mean, I, I was kind of just kind of set out into the open on my own. That's kind of how I felt in a way. Um, I had some people giving me some, some good advice, but it's just, it, it's still tough. You're, you're on your own. Like I said, you're not on a team anymore. Your coaches aren't there. Your parents aren't there. Your teammates aren't there. Um, you just got to go figure it out. And I, and I feel like, you know, I did a good job playing a good amount of tournaments, like you said, down in Florida a lot, number of the tours down there. And um, in a way, I feel like I just kind of got lost in the in the fray of, of players. You know, there was just, you know, some some really talented players who, you know, maybe, you know, had been around for a while who honestly were very tough to beat, um, very tough to beat at some of these events. And then you had some guys who were, you know, maybe didn't take it as seriously who were just kind of enjoying the ride and maybe, you know, didn't believe that they could make it or didn't, you know, really put the work in. So there was a, a big disparity in the mini tour scene of, you know, guys and, and the dynamic. And I feel like I was very much kind of caught, caught in between there. Like I said, I still had a lot to learn and a lot to focus on and a lot to improve on. And it just took time. And I, you know, I definitely fell into some bad habits. You know, it's, um, you know, all those things you're taught growing up, you know, the, the fundamentals and how to approach the game. It's easy to, for those things to start slipping when somebody's not there watching you, you know, monitoring you, paying attention to you and, and, and keeping an eye out for you that you're doing the right things. So definitely, um, even though I was playing a lot, I, I just didn't, I kind of feel like my progress was kind of stunted a little bit just because I didn't maintain and keep up those good habits that I was taught in college and amateur golf you feel pressure um, to, you know, maybe win a tournament and go up in the rankings or get into a bigger tournament or something. It's a lot different than a mini tour event where you're putting up, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars. And if you don't go shoot 66 both days, then, you know, you might not make your money back. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many people get lost in focusing on that money part of it, but I've watched you throughout your career just kind of stay the course and not focus on that short term. Oh, you know, I lost this big entry fee here. I won this little amount of money here. Mm -hmm. You're just focused on your own game and trying to be the best golfer you can be. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about, you know, maybe watching people 
get lost in that mindset Mm -hmm. during the mini tour events and how you had this consistent mindset of just being the best you can be? Yeah, of course. Um, I was told, you know, going into the pro game, not to, not to focus on the money, not to follow the money, to play events that I felt like would better prepare me and, and help me get better. And that was, I felt like that was great advice. Um, and I always try to remind myself of that because there were guys that, you know, they only focused on the money and, you know, they might go play maybe easier events or they might handpick their events to try to play, you know, where they felt like they got their best, the best bang for their buck. And what I started to realize was those weren't really the guys taking the next step, um, you know, making jumps to the next level. Um, those guys were kind of just there year after year, guys just trying to pay the bills. And the financial side is tricky in pro golf. Um, it's a very, you know, kind of taboo, sensitive subject with guys. You know, we don't talk about it much. Everybody's situation is different, um, but it certainly is important to everybody. But I just always try to remember that advice to play events and to, to go about it in terms of getting better and to focus on getting better and preparing for Q school at the end of the year rather than trying to make a little bit of money here and there. And, and you know, one thing, you know, Coach Flynn at Belmont always told me was, you know, good golf takes care of everything. Um, you keep doing the right things. You keep play, playing good golf. And, um, you know, that's going to it's going to kind of take care of, you know, the, the financial side, hopefully at some point. And when it comes to that financial side, as you said, like everybody has different situations. So it's hard for them to necessarily all everybody has to look at things not different as far as like you want to focus on golf because good golf does fix everything. But as far as what they're playing in, what their setup mm-hmm. is, sometimes people have to live at home and have to go to the golf course every day. Sometimes they have to do what it takes to make it there. And a lot of times that's not necessarily even reflective of the skill they have or anything like that. That's just the circumstances of life, which is uh, kind of the beautiful thing about life is we all have something different going on and we all have different opportunities. When it came to you finishing up Q school, being like, okay, I don't really have anywhere to go as far as like tour wise, you went down to Orlando and you found a golf course down there. Talk us through just about specifically like, when people are looking to find somewhere to play golf at and to play a golf course, there's lots of options out there and lots of places that'll take on professional golfers at discounted rates. As far as actually evaluating though, beyond just the discounts that sometimes get given or the memberships or anything of that nature, evaluating, Hey, here's what I was looking for in a practice facility. Here's what I was looking for in a course. How did you end up down there and tell us more about uh, the courses you've been at down there? Yeah, I've, I've been at a, a bunch of different places over the years. I've generally tried to, you know, have a plan, you know, before, you know, before I head down, you know, where, where am I going to live? Where am I going to play? I think my first year, I just kind of, I think I played at Orange County National and the, the Disney courses in Orlando. It was, um, it was just kind of, you know, just doing what, you know, whatever I, I felt like I could, um, just kind of, didn't know the landscape very well. Didn't, you know, didn't, you know, know a lot of guys in the pro game yet to, to be able to reach out and ask, Hey, you know, where are you guys playing? Where's a good spot to go? Um, and I remember the next year I joined at Grand Cypress for the year and that was a much better environment. A lot of really good players there. Um, you know, more of like an all-inclusive deal where I, you know, could get a card every day, I could play every day. And, but, but the advice I always tell the guys is just, you know, find something that, that works for you. You know, if, if you have to, you know, work a couple of days to pay for it, you got to make it happen. If, if, if you can afford to join somewhere and that seems like a good, good fit for you, go ahead and do that. But um, you just got to make it work for you. And, you know, for me, almost every year has been a little bit different. I, I've, I've never really wanted to, to put up a, a member, a down payment on a membership. Cause I, I just don't know what the next year is going to look like. Um, I've always kept it just a little, you know, go year by year. And now being in Jacksonville at, at, um, at TPC is just, uh, it's just so great. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the best places you could be, but yeah, it's a tricky deal. I, I, you know, when guys ask me for advice on that, I try to really listen to their, their situation and their setup and, and try to, you know, look at it from their unique, um, uh, point of view or perspective, because everybody is looking for and can, you know, maybe, you know, needs something different. Um, everybody's situation is a little bit different. So like the financial side, I mentioned, it's, it's very, it's, 
everybody's dealing with it. Um, you just gotta, you know, figure out something that works for you. Now you go down to Florida every winter, I guess, except for the COVID year, I think you stayed in Kentucky, but during the summers, I believe you played on the Canadian tour three years. Talk about, first of all, the Q school, because it's very different. The Q school is in Florida mm-hmm. for a tour that's going to be played in Canada. Talk about getting through Q school for that and then playing that tour the summer and how that helped you prepare for being on the Corn Ferry tour. Yeah, I, I remember the first year, I think it was 2018, I got status in Canada. And that was uh, that was a big step for me. I think that was two years out of college for me. Um, I didn't do Canada or Latin tour my my first full year as a pro. So that was my my first year doing any of the sanctioned tours. Yeah, I learned a lot that summer. Um, you know, the and you know, I didn't have a ton of success my first season, but I learned a lot. I was a lot around a lot of really good players. And um I remember when I went back the next year, I was far more prepared, you know, just from how much I had learned and you know, my level of play really improved just from being in a, in that you know, good environment. And, um, I tell people now, you know, inside the ropes, a Canadian tour event feels like a corn fairy event. There's not as many people there watching and there's not as much going on obviously, but you know, it, it, it let me experience a 72 hole structure, 72 hole events. And, uh, you know, got me, you know, got some of that structure back for me. And I feel like, you know, that was a good time for me. It felt like my game started to kind of turn around a little bit. You said it got you used to that structure, but it also got used to having to travel around a lot because Canada might be one country, but those events are pretty spread out from each other Mm -hmm. and you'll end up flying, flying around different places, Mm -hmm. uh, driving around different places. Walk us through as far as the travel side goes, Mm -hmm. what it was like having to coordinate your own travel. I mean, you still have to do that when you're going through that late season stretch. It was, you know, uh, fly to Omaha, rent a car from here, uh, take it there, uh, go to Illinois, all that kind of come back, drive up to um, Ohio. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on managing that. And that kind of, I imagine, was your first taste of having to kind of adapt a schedule mm-hmm. around adapt your travel plans around a schedule. Whereas before you kind of could build your schedule, you could play this type, this tournament here, this tournament mm-hmm. there, and it could all be maybe just located in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's people's houses you can stay at all that kind of easier stuff when you're in Canada, there isn't that. So what was that like? And what did you learn through that? Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole nother element now with travel. You know, when, when you're playing junior golf or college golf, it's, you play an event, then you have a week off or you're playing your summer schedule. You can kind of build it and you can kind of gear up for events. Um, you can, you know, Hey, let me make sure I see my coach a couple of times. Let me make sure I'm feeling good going into this event. Yeah. You know, at that level in pro golf, there's no more of that. You're, you're thrown into the fire and you're there for four or five, you know, straight weeks and you're in a new city every week. And, on the Canadian tour, it's, it's, you might be in, in a city or a town that you've never heard of, um, you know, and, um, that was, you know, that was a, a big learning curve. Luckily I had some, uh, some buddies up there that, that really helped me with that and had played that tour before. Um, but yeah, I remember you flying around. It's like, well, I guess, you know, I guess this is what we're doing, you know, not really knowing what's going on and you just kind of go with the flow and, and make it work. Um, but yeah, that was a whole nother, whole nother element that I got to experience there playing in Canada. And, but, you know, I always say to guys, you know, if you can get out and play the Latin tour or the Canadian tour and, and travel a little bit, it's going to pay off because, you know, when you get to the corn Ferry level, you're traveling every week, you're going across the country. Um, we're playing, um, you know, five events outside of the country this year. Um, that's all gonna, you know, that's valuable experience that I got, you know, early on. So it, I think that was that was really important for my development. We talk about how you're on the Corn Ferry Tour now, and I know that most people don't know your story of how you got there because we kind of we've kind of alluded to it. But you know, it's uh, okay. First year seems pretty good. Miss Q School, two years of no status anywhere. Then you get on Canada, and again, don't really flourish. Might not be the right word, but don't really get to reap the rewards of all the hard work you're putting in, uh, you feel improvement, you see improvement, but it doesn't necessarily happen there. And then, uh, finally we get to like last year, 
you get to Q school um, and 2020 was just a weird year anyway, as far as like finding places to play, getting stuff done, et cetera. Last year you get to Q school. Tell us about Q school last year, kind of what happened and then how you ended up getting some status this year and then how you locked in status later. Yeah. I think if you go back and kind of keep filling in my timeline here, you know, in 2020, I, I had to go back to Canadian Q school and, and I played awful. I really was in the, it was in March. It was in, it was in at Mission Inn and outside of Orlando. And it's some of the worst golf I've ever played. And my, my game was really terrible. And that was right when COVID was starting and the rest of the season kind of was just a wash. And it was kind of a real turning point for me. It was, um, I was at a pretty low, low spot in my game and there was nothing to play in. So it really came down to what, you know, what did I want to do? Was I going to, you know, crawl out of this hole because I had a pretty unique opportunity. There was no tournaments. It wasn't going to be any Q school. I really had about, you know, 18 months to, to turn it around. Um, and, you know, I rededicated myself and I felt like from that day after that Q school forward, um, every single day I put my, my best foot forward. And, and maybe at times I wasn't doing that um, before that. And, and, I feel like I just, you know, one day at a time, I kind of dug myself out of that hole. Um, and I got to Q school in 2021 and I hadn't done Q school in three years. Starting first stage, you know, I just, I had that mentality of I've been working for this for three years. I'm ready for it. I'm prepared. And, you know, this is, this is my year to get through and played really well at first stage, you know, um, got through by a few shots, had a, had a pretty good cushion on the final day. I played well. And then second stage, um, Second stage was tough. It was just, it was one of those weeks where I was playing really well, but nothing was coming easy. Um, and, and that's golf. A lot of times that's, that's what it's about. And I was a little bit behind going to the final day and, and just found a way to, to get to that last hole with the, with the chance to make a putt to, to hopefully get through. Um, and, you know, like I was telling myself the whole, the, through the whole process, you know, I got one, one, you know, one shot here, you know, I've been working for three years and I was able to get through. Um, make a big putt on the final hole and um, just, you know, again, you know, go back to like the Kentucky Open win. It was kind of like a, you know, another big step for me as a confirmation that, you know, all oh, this is the right thing for me to be doing. I'm on the right path. Felt like I took a big step forward. So that, I mean, that was a huge step for me to get, to get corn fairy status. Um, but it, you know, it, it kind of hit me hard the next month. I went to final stage and really played poorly, like really poorly. Like, like, yeah, like, you know, what, what are we doing here? Yeah. You're a few shots off from DFL. I remember me and uh, me and another guy were, were, we had a nice battle that final day for uh, to not be DFL, but, but it was that same kind of mentality that I dug my, I feel like I dug myself out of that hole. I remember I went home after final stage, I rested for a couple of days. I said, all right, Let's get back to work. Let's put our best foot forward, just like I did in in 2020, right when COVID was starting. I I I, I decided to recommit myself. You know, I I'd come too far to 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 be frustrated and be down. You know, after final stage and was able to get you know one of the best breaks in my career to get into the the Great Abaco Classic in the Bahamas on a sponsor exemption and and just you know was really really fired up to go to go make the most of it. And I was able to, and was able to, to uh, get to play the rest of the season after that. So just, you know, it was just a huge, you know, from 2020 on just to recommit myself to all those good things that I was saying that are easy to forget about when you're at this level, when you're on your own and, you know, just recommitted myself and, and it, uh, you know, you know, thank, thank goodness it all, uh, it all paid off and, you know, we're still going now. And I'm, you know, I have that same mentality every day that I wake up now, even, even now that I've had some success, I see all the guys at my level and they, you know, they're really great guys that work really hard and, you know, somehow you got to go out there and find a way to beat them. And that's, uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a mindset and a, and a focus that I'm never going to, never going to let leave me. So. Yeah. For the listeners that don't know, you got the sponsor's exemption into the great Abaco mm -hmm. and you play probably the best golf of your life up to that point under the circumstances mm -hmm. you finished T ninth and, and you pretty much lock yourself up for the rest of the year. So I'd like to talk about the next three events after that Bahamas tournament mm -hmm. where 
I actually caddied for you. And I'd like to, <laughs> Daniel's laughing. I was just going to say the first event that we had was in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And on Tuesday night, I think it was, the tournament was hosted by a casino and they had all the players out for a crawfish boil with um, unlimited beer and unlimited crawfish right next to a casino. And so I was like, I was a caddy and I went over there and I was expecting it to just kind of be caddies and a few players here and there. But I was really surprised to see that like over half the field was, you know, in there drinking beer and gambling right before this tournament. But, you know, you definitely weren't doing that. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on how hard it is week to week to avoid some of the partying or social interactions out there on tour that may end up partying your game in the long run. Yeah. Um, yeah. Louisiana was a unique week. A uh, lot of great food being at the casino. I mean, everybody's tempted to go in there and, and try their luck and have some fun, but you know, you guys know me, um, probably your, your viewers don't, don't know me as well, but, um, it's, it's kind of in my nature to, uh, to to block everything out um people who know me wouldn't be surprised about that story i'd say if if, if anything they would probably encourage me hey, it's okay to go play a couple hands of cards it'll be all right like you know loosen up a little bit it'll be okay but but no there's a lot of distractions and and you know at the corn ferry level the guys are very focused very locked in um i think cooper what you probably saw was guys that have been grinding for a month and a half and it's like man we got a night here they're giving away free crawfish you know i can have a beer you know it's not the end of the world so i think that's just you know that you know self-management is really important at this level it's um you got to stay focused and and for the most part almost everybody does but there is a time and place to go and you know to kick back and you know hang out with the guys and just you know just be a regular person and let the let the stresses and the the frustrations of of uh the real world kind of kind of slip away but um but yeah i think you know there's definitely an advantage you know you know you hear stories about you know you know tiger and his work ethic and the guys who stay the most focused and who stay on the right path and don't you know don't get distracted those guys have an advantage um it's uh it's easier said than done there's so much out there to that can get in your way and distract you but it's just about that self-management and knowing you know you know, when you just need to get to bed and when it's okay to go hang out with the guys for a couple hours. But for me, that's, yeah, that was, uh, that was a good night, good opportunity, good night for me to get some rest and get to bed early. As far as things go though, that year you had status for this next, like essentially 10 or 12 week run. And then after that, you know, what happened happened. So you could be, you could end up back at first stage depending on, uh, how things went. So you're in for the reshuffle and the next, the next like eight or so weeks, nothing bad happened per se, uh, make a cut here, miss a cut there, a little bit of back and forth, but you get to a few weeks before the end of the season and you're at one nineteenth on the points list. So that's outside looking in, mm -hmm. tell us about a, how that felt like, but also what happened after that, that next tournament. Yeah. So, um, I played well in Knoxville early in the summer. And then I think that the very next week I'm in the top 10 going into the weekend in, in Chicago. And I really felt like I was about to kind of get on a nice little run. Um, and it, you know, it just wasn't in the cards, you know, kind of, kind of missed some opportunities. I felt like when I played not my best, I was getting really bad results. And when I was playing pretty well, I wasn't getting a lot out of it. Um, and you know, the season, you know, it's a long season, but, time was kind of running out for me. You know, like you said, I was 119 on the points list late in the year. Um, but, you know, I never lost that, you know, that, that good mindset of, you know, put my best foot forward, go out there, do the right things. I never got frustrated um, with my situation. I looked at every week as an opportunity. I was, you know, really excited to be there and I never lost confidence. That was the biggest thing. Um, I saw a lot of guys in my position that were phenomenal players maybe get a little bit frustrated with themselves, maybe get 
a little bit discouraged. And, and I knew that, you know, that was, that was a big advantage for me if I could stay, stay confident and, and, and stay, uh, stay positive. And, um, I played really well in, uh, Springfield, Missouri and kind of just had a little bit of a flat final round, um, to finish 25th. But I knew I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm playing well. And, um, you know, and we only got two more weeks, but I kind of, I kind of, I had a good feeling about it. Went, went out to Utah and it was just one of those weeks where, you know, shoot 64 in the practice round, go play offsite on Wednesday at another really good golf course, shoot 63, kind of got a little bit kind of off to a good start, but nothing crazy open with 68. And then, you know, just kind of got it going, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, I finally got myself in a position where I felt like I could win the tournament. And, and like I was mentioning earlier from my, from my college career and, you know, my junior career, I feel like if I'm in contention, I feel like I'm at my best and I'm, I'm most comfortable there. And just that, that being comfortable with, with trying to win a golf tournament, finally, you know, for the first time all year, I think really paid off for me. And, and I kind of, I had a great final round in the Bahamas where I, I pushed it all the way up to fourth place with a couple holes left. And I really kind of fell on my sword there. Those last two holes, I really, really kind of goofed up the last two. And I remember I learned a lot from that. Um, and I kind of told myself, we're going to get back in this position and we're going to be more prepared and we're going to know what to expect. And, you know, we'll, we'll succeed next time. And, and that's exactly what I was thinking coming down the stretch in Utah, you know, how, you know, everything happens for a reason and how I was, you know, going to be prepared for, for the situation. And um, yeah, I was able to birdie three of my last four, made a nice putt on 18 in Utah and, you know, get in there. And it's like, well, you know, that it takes care of a lot of, a lot of good stuff was then, uh, you know, ended up, you know, getting inside the top 75, getting into corn Ferry finals and getting most importantly, getting exempt, um, for, for next season. Cause that's, that's just taken such a burden off of me and, and created such an, uh, an awesome opportunity that I've never had to really prepare and be, you know, be able to, you know, relax and, and get ready for a season. So just, uh, just a, a great series of events for me this season. I'd like to go back to some of the things that I noticed when I was on the bag early in the season for you. And that is something that we talked about, which is the increased level of structure that you get with the corn Ferry tour. And that would be, you know, you get three practice rounds every week. You got, um, registrations, you got players, you know, meals, at all times of the day, you got mm -hmm. equipment trucks with anything that you need. How do you balance taking advantage of all of those new things that are available to you mm -hmm. and sticking to sticking with what got you there? Um, because it is, even though it is a higher level of structure and there's more things available to you, it is a change in routine mm -hmm. um, compared to you know, Q school or mini tour event. Yeah. There's, there's so much more at, at, you know, at your fingertips at the corn Ferry level, they, they give you all the, the tools and opportunities and resources to, to play great golf. And that's what I noticed early on in the season. And I, I wanted to take advantage of all those things. Like, but like you said, it is a, a balancing act. You don't want to, you know, you don't need to be in the equipment van every week, you know, re retool in the set. You don't need to be, you know, you know, you need to just do what, you know, like you said, what got you there and trust your game. And um, I think as the season went on, I, you know, I kind of began to understand that and, and kind of everybody gets in a nice rhythm with what they do and, you know, getting a good routine. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot, lot going on, but there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of opportunity to really set yourself up for success. Um, and that's something, you know, you don't really have, you know, until, until you get there. Like I said, the Canadian tour inside the ropes feels like a big event, but you get outside the ropes, you sign your card and it's just a clubhouse and a few people walking around, you know, th at this level, you really get, you get that, you know, those people around you with, you know, equipment reps are so helpful out there. Um, they've helped me a lot this year. You know, you, you get the, 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 the free meals, the player dining is always, you know, really, really good. Um, you can, you know, really take care of yourself. And, and that's, that's an important part to playing well. And, um, you know, Corn Ferry Tour does a great job of, 
of uh, you know providing those amenities and and you know the sponsors of the events do a really good job too, and that's that that really helps us just as players you know have a better chance to play our best and and that's in everybody's best interest. So we kind of glossed over how big of a deal it was and what exactly happened on that 16th hole. I think you made a 16 footer for birdie. It's not like we're talking about tappins here. It's a 16 footer for birdie on that 16th hole. So that gets you in good position. And then 17th hole, you make a par. And at that point in time, leader was already in the clubhouse two in front. So you knew that, okay, I'm not going to necessarily win it um, on the last hole, but you come down the last hole and I don't know if you knew it, but commentators knew it. I knew it in my head. Uh, a birdie helps make sure you lock in that status and you roll in a 20 footer, I think on the last hole, something around that length to get yourself in, lock it up for the next year. That gets you into, uh, playoffs. Like it opens that essentially like gives you a whole bunch of stability. One in your head, what was going on in that moment? Did you know where you were? Cause it sounds like a lot of people are like, you know, I'm not looking at the scoreboard. I'm not looking at this. And for my interactions with you, that's never been something that has necessarily bothered you. And instead more you've, uh, embraced it. Yeah. Um, I didn't, um, I did look at some scoreboards that day. Um, but I felt like starting the day, there was about 20 guys within three shots of the lead. And I felt like, you know, you had to go get a hot round going and, you know, we'll see where we're at with the final few holes. And, uh, I played really well in the front nine, started three back to start the day. I think I shoot five under on the front. Um, but then I kind of cooled off par 10, bogey 11, par 12, 13, and 14. So, you know, I, I knew there was still a lot to play for those last three, obviously, the last four, I mean. Um, but I, I unfortunately, I felt like winning the tournament was maybe a little out of, out, out of reach. Um, now, turns out it wasn't. Um, There's a lot of really good players behind me um, that, that I, I felt like, you know, we're going to finish well and, and push the lead forward. And it turns out they never did. Um, Andrew and the group ahead of me was, was lighting it up and, and he ended up, you know, getting a 21 under and nobody ever caught him. I, I really, when I was finishing up, I, I felt like even if I got to 21 under, I wasn't going to win. I felt like somebody was going to get lower than that, but, but that's, that wasn't really what I was, that wasn't the foremost thought in my head. The, the biggest thing for me was we've got to play these last, four or five holes as well as we possibly can. Every shot matters, whether that means we get to skip first stage next year, whether it means we secure our card for next year, or whether it means we, we win the tournament, you know, those were the four biggest holes of my, of my career, of my season. And, and that's all I was thinking. Um, I did, a, you know, birdied 16, really, really good birdie on 16, hard 17. And, and I remember on 18, directly past the cup was the scoreboard when I was reading my putt and I'm looking, I'm like, okay, well, I'm T4 right now, two, two back of the lead. So we can't win, but man, making this putt would go a long way. Um, and I just, you know, I hit a really bad wedge in there on 18, a good drive, really bad wedge. I, I think about that wedge pretty much every day when I'm on the range hitting wedges, because um, I'd love to have that one back. But I, I, I walked up to that green and, and this is something coach Flynn always told me. He said, you know, you got a putt, you know, you've still got a chance. And my dad always told me growing up, he said, you got to love putting. If you're on that green, you've got a chance. And it doesn't matter if it's five feet or 25 feet. You, if you make it, you make it. It counts the same. So that's the mentality I had. And it was, it was just, um, it was kind of a great putt to have under pressure. It was a little bit downhill, breaking just a little bit right to left. And I saw the read early and I felt really good about it. And, um, you know, from there, it's just about, sticking your routine and, and staying out of your own way and just not letting the moment dictate, you know, what you're doing or what you're thinking. The pressure is there. I mean, it's, you know, goes out, goes without saying, you know, you can feel it, you know, but you got to just, you know, you know, focused on my breathing, focused on, you know, just hitting the best putt I could and being confident. Yeah. I hit, hit a, hit a pretty perfect putt and um, read it right. And, and got the speed, right. It was a pretty, pretty awesome moment. I was just focused the whole, you know, that back nine on, you know, every shot matters. It, it, like I said, if it, if it gets me to keep my card, if it gets me to win the tournament, you know, 
it was just, uh, you know, shoot the lowest score possible. And that's, that's my whole, my whole golf career. That's, that's all that it's about. It's, you know, what, what's, what's the score that you can post. So that's just a great mindset that you had, you know, you weren't necessarily, you were mad about the wedge shot, but you were focused on, it would be awesome to make this putt. I love putting and you stepped up and you made a really big time putt and listen to you talk about that is sounds like straight out of a, a Bob Rotella book. And that's actually some, a sports psychologist that you worked with. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to talk about some of the lessons that he taught you mm-hmm. and how those lessons play out in your game today. Yeah. Um, I believe I went to see Dr. Rotella in um, 2018 or 2019. And, and that was a, that was such a great experience for me. Um, we still talk some now. Um, he's, he's a great guy. You know, he'll pick up the phone anytime, but he just loves, he loves the game. He loves seeing guys, you know, reach their potential, get better. Uh, and he just instilled in me that, you know, I'm in control of, of how I handle situations and how I feel about, you know, where I'm at and the, and the work that I do, you know, things are going to go on around you. Things are going to, good things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen, but can you do what you want to do and really be in control of yourself and your, and your thoughts and your, and your actions. And, and he just, you know, that was a really, you know, big turning point for me just to know that, you know, for example, on that last put on in Utah, obviously I'm nervous. Obviously there's so much on the line, but can I go through my routine? Can I read this putt? Can I, can I hit, you know, hit this ball how I want to, um, you know, and, and the situation can't dictate that, how you, how you, you know, act in that situation, because if it does, you're not going to, you're not going to hit the shot that you want. So that was just a huge, a huge lesson for me. Um, but he's just, you know, he's worked with so many great players, the stories that he's told me, you know, real life examples and real life, you know, testimony to, to, you know, what good psychology and what good thinking, um, can lead to that was, um, you know, such a great experience to work with him. And I work with another, a, 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 another coach now that I can see more regularly. And that's, um, you know, so helpful for me to, to talk through things and just to, uh, you know, to, to get things off my chest and to make sure that I'm continuing to progress and, and, you know, go about things and handle things and process things the right way. I think I, w- I would recommend that to any player that wants to be their best, find somebody, you know, and it, you know, it doesn't, it, if it's a professional, that's great. If it's, if it's a, if it's one of your coaches, if it's, you know, a grandparent, somebody, I wouldn't recommend your parents, uh, but, but somebody that, um, that you trust, that knows the game, that knows you, that you can rely on to kind of give you some, some good feedback and good advice. Um, I think that's just invaluable. No, that's an important part of being a professional golfer and essentially any role in life is having a team there and, you have a good team, have had a good team, and where you notice issues, you make sure that those issues are corrected. When it comes to people on your team and working on your golf swing in particular, what are some of the things? Because at every level, you kind of your golf swing changes some, but your DNA for the most part stays the same. Like it's it's hard to change your entire DNA uh, or everything about your golf swing and still play at a high level. Cause a lot of what playing golf at a high level is, is refining skill and you're used to these motor patterns. So if you change these motor patterns drastically, it'll affect your golf game drastically. And once you start seeing proof of concept, like, Hey, I'm out here, I can play out here. I've known I could play out here, but it's not a golf swing issue necessarily for me out here. I'm not necessarily getting, uh, capped, capped out of my potential. What, do you look at in your golf swing and what do you work on with your coaches to make sure that, you know, you're improving, you're finding ways to improve, but you're not, uh, reinventing the wheel. You're not putting yourself out of your game, especially when you're trying to travel and play good golf. Yeah. I think that, uh, proof of concept idea that you mentioned is, is a big part of it for me now. Um, you know, having played with some of the best players in the world and, and seeing that everybody does some unique things and everybody does it a little bit differently and nobody's got a perfect game. Oftentimes the guys that chase perfect, you know, kind of get get lost a little bit. 
And maybe for a while, you know, maybe at times as a professional, I've, I've chased something that maybe I don't do naturally. So really what I work on now is let's look at when I'm hitting the ball really well, when I'm swinging my best, what does it look like? What are kind of the things that are, that are, you know, the indicators there? What, what, what are the things that we can keep an eye on that, that we see when I'm, when I'm playing my best? So, um, and, and it may not be, you know, textbook, you know, perfect golf fundamentals, but it's, it's my, like you said, my DNA, it's what I do well. You know, there's a maturity aspect there. You have to figure out, Hey, this works for me. Um, it may not be perfect, but this is what I do. And this is what I have to do if I want to be my best. Um, there's very few players on the PJ tour now with perfect golf swings. You've got a lot of unique, unique things going on, but they know what they're doing. They trust their coaching. They, um, they're comfortable with who they are and how they, and how they get it done. And, and I think for me, you know, being a little bit more mature now, being 28 years old, having played at a high level, seeing a lot of the guys out there um, is just kind of affirmed that with me that I got to just figure out what, what's, what works best for me. What do I do really well? And just stick to that. There's always constant little improvements that we're trying to make, you know, and I won't get into my swing too too technically here, but, um, there's always little things I'm trying to work on, but it's, um, but you know, for me now, especially now in the off season, it's, it's, what do I do really well and how do we, how do we maximize that and, and, um, make sure I, you know, I, I, I stick with what I know and what I do well. That's beautiful. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And if you've listened to us, which I know you have, you know that the last question we ask every guest is if you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself one thing, what would that one thing be? I tell them a lot. Um, yeah, as a junior golfer, I think just, um, you know, just, just, uh, get a plan and stick to it. Um, never lose that love for the game, find some good coaches that you really believe in and, and, and just, uh, just keep working hard. I mean, there's no substitute for hard work. Um, you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows, but just, just stick with it. You know, if you really believe you can do it, you can, you know, golf's an amazing game and, and it's meant to be enjoyed. You know, it's easy to take it too seriously and to get hung up on the, the frustrating times, but just stick with it, work hard, um, trust your coaches and, and have fun with it. Beautiful. We appreciate it. If people want to find you on social media, reach out to you, uh, ask you questions, where should they do that? Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram, Ashton Van Horn. No spaces, no underscores or anything. Trying to be a little bit more active there. We'll see. It's kind of tough for me. Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at thetournamentcode.com, on Instagram at thetournamentcode, and on Twitter at tournamentcode. As always, feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at daniel at the tournamentcode.com and cooper at the tournamentcode.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper into what it takes to play elite tournament golf.